Motorsport 411 presents all the four and two-wheeled action. Motorsport 411 with Sean Cardavillis. Welcome to Motorsport 411, your home for all your four and two-wheel action in Africa. Now it was a historic weekend in Rally New Zealand as Kalarovampera became the youngest ever world champion. We'll find out all about Rovampera and the Toyota Gazoo racing team with the local coordinator Glenn Edmonds. And we have an exclusive as we speak to the voice of rallying Colin Clark of Dirtfish. All the four and two-wheeled action. Motorsport 411. Welcome to the show. So history was made in Rally New Zealand as Kale Rovenpera and Jona Houtenen won the event with Rovenpera becoming the youngest ever world champion. Here's how the final moments of the event unfolded courtesy of WRC Plus TV. As he came towards the end of the stage, he edged ever closer to making history. Just a final kilometer to run and the whole team waited patiently, but it was inevitable. Rovampera won the rally and the power stage to jump across the finish line and into the history books. Calais Rovampera, the 2022 World Rally Champion and the youngest the sport has ever seen. It's quite a big relief after so good season and, uh, and yeah, finally we are here. So that's WRC Plus TV. Now Glenn Edmonds is the local coordinator for Toyota Gazoo Racing. Glenn, uh, thank you so much for speaking to us on Motorsport 411. Uh, what a performance this season has been by Kale Rovampera, the youngest ever world champion, uh, beating the previous mark set by Colin McRae by five years. Uh, what a talent he is. Oh, you know, this year particularly, we've seen him rise to the occasion. Last year, he was a little bit tentative. But this year, he's got so much confidence. I mean, obviously, this car suits him really well. He's just an amazing talent coming from the Rovampera family. He's, uh, we always knew he was going to be good, but nobody really understood just how good he was going to be. And he's going to have a, an amazing future in front of him, that's for sure. From a personal point of view, uh, with you working for Toyota, uh, how do you feel uh, Kali winning the World Drivers title? I think it's great. I, I, I was very excited. I, I was uh, glued to the screen. Uh, I watched as much as, it, as I could. And of course, I was getting uh, a lot of feedback from team members and management and things like that. Uh, it makes me feel very proud, the truth be told, um, especially when it came to Safari and we got the one, two, three, four, that so much work went into that. And to be part of a team that is that professional um, and doing this well and then to see this young man who you know we sit and have, have coffee with or or you know we chat about this uh, a particular section that he wasn't sure about you know whether it's something as simple as a high ridge or do you know glenn i saw a giraffe you know and you know or, uh you know asking question about wildlife i mean this kid wants to know everything he, he's he's amazing but you know, I also commend the other drivers. They also have been really great to work with this year, and I'm very proud to be part of that team. And I look forward to staying with them for as long as I can. The main difference between him and the other drivers this season, his adaptability to different surfaces, uh, he, he was phenomenal uh, just winning on all surfaces. He has an amazing feel for the levels of grip. And that is one of the main things that... that uh, 
makes a driver outstanding is being able to feel the levels of grip that he's dealing with and when it rains or it comes slippery like we saw in New Zealand or even in Kenya when it rained here he 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 was able to take 4 seconds a you know and even more in a section from other drivers he has a talent that he understands where he can push and yes certainly there are times when he he goes over the limit and things go wrong but 90% of the time he really does understand the car the levels of grip the conditions everything around him and you know we're, we're not going to see a talent like this come along every day that's for sure now he had a slight blip uh, the last few rallies uh, you know it was bound to happen and uh, that's what Yari Mati was saying uh, there was going to be that slight dip uh, that was going to come but he didn't seem to panic uh, despite uh, Oit uh, suddenly raising his game no he didn't panic i uh, i was in contact with Yari Mati um, just a couple of days ago and and some of the other team management um and we were talking about you know Yari Mati was never uh, he never won the world championship. He was an amazing talent and a great driver, but he never won the world championship. But you've got to remember, this is a team sport. And, you know, Yari Mati leading the, the team of real professionals. And everybody in that team knows his job. They don't have to be told. They, they get on and they do it. And there is a real sense that they're the best. And, you know, it's uh, pretty amazing to be in that environment because what it does it just raises everybody's game you know 10 15% and you know that takes leadership and the leadership they've got whether it's with Kai Yamo and Yari Mati and all the other engineers and people like that they're all focused on the same thing and that's winning and I expect that um, Toyota as well is also um, this year they'll be very happy with the results that they've got. This is a huge year for Toyota. Yeah, and of course uh, we can't forget to mention his navigator as well. Uh, how key has the navigator been? The, the navigator has been very key. He has a, a lot of experience and there is a connection between the two of them. It's like at times they, they, they don't even have to talk. They, they understand each other. And the navigator works very hard, again, with the team. And everybody is, is, has a job to do, including the navigator. For sure, the navigator will be telling him when to push, when to back off, and, and things like that. But, you know, some drivers don't listen to the navigators very well. But, you know, Kelly really respects his navigator. And you can see that just in the interaction when, when they're watching the videos uh, of a recce, for example. They're, they're talking and discussing you know, when to push, when to, to push the boost button and things like that. They, they have this sense uh, almost of one, actually. Yeah, of course, his navigator is Jonna Houtenen. Um, for Toyota, it's looking very positive in terms of the manufacturer's title. Uh, that will be the priority for them now. Yeah, they'll be focused on the manufacturer's title. There's going to be a lot of work going on behind the scenes because if they can get the manufacturer's title this year along with everything else, that's going to be a huge, huge bonus um, for Toyota. They can market that uh, and sell cars with that. And the whole of motorsport is, is a marketing uh, exercise. And really, at the end of the day, if we can see uh, Toyota win this championship, that's fantastic. The question is, is what's it going to do to 
the Hyundai's and the Ford's. You know, are they going to step up and invest more money? Um, Ford, we already know Ford are always struggling for uh, um, for budget. You know, and they, they've got to take paid drivers and things like that just to sustain themselves. But, you know, the trouble is, is when one uh, manufacturer, like even Mercedes in Formula One, is so dominant, it can tend to put off other drivers and other manufacturers and um, joining the team, and joining the World Rally Championship or Formula One, whatever it is. And that's always a worry. Um, and I think uh, Safari was a big wake-up for a lot of these other teams because they could see just the step forward that Toyota had made. And that it meant that they had to work twice as hard, put in as much, uh, as much money as Toyota to get to that place. But uh, I'm hoping that uh, next year Hyundai will start to develop the car earlier and, and release the budget earlier um, because really... The last thing we want, we want to see a fight. As a fan of rallying Formula One, we want to see uh, different drivers and different manufacturers fighting for that for that uh, championship. And if it becomes one way, then everybody loses. And finally, Glenn, uh, it's an amazing relationship between you and Toyota. I guess you're laying the groundwork uh, for 2023. Um, well, we just finished putting all the books. Uh, you know, putting the books together and, and finishing the accounts for uh, last year. So yeah, we'll start looking at the new um, the new season. We'll start looking at putting Safari together. Um, yes, I've been very lucky. Uh, you know, going from Mitsubishi as a local coordinator and getting the option to join Toyota when I did. Um, I was. It was funny actually. The when. Uh, I, I signed for Toyota. I think I mentioned this to you a week later. Uh, Hi and I uh, contacted me and they wanted me to sign with them, but I'd already committed. You see, um, when it comes to motorsport, uh, if you have a good relationship with the, whether it's the mechanics or the organ or the, you know, the team bosses, when they move on, they want to take their team with you. So when... Mitsubishi pulled out and we lost the safari. Um, I personally, I couldn't do anything. I had nothing to really do. But then when Safari came back online and Tommy Mackinnon and Lassie Lampy were running uh, Toyota um, back in the early days of the development of the Toyota team, they called me and said, would, you know, would you mind joining us again? And of course, because there were so many of the old Mitsubishi boys, that was an easy decision to make. But of course, there was some spillover too, because some of the old Mitsubishi boys joined Hyundai. And so once they got there, once it, they realized they were coming for Safari, they also reached out. Um, unfortunately, I'd already signed with Toyota. I was lucky. It was a... a a good team i mean that and we were doing really well and now we're, next year we'll be in our year three working together and now there's a, a we've built up trust uh, they know what i can do they know what you know what what's expected of of kenya and really my job is to make their life easy here and ensure that we're able to do the safari with as little drama as possible whether that's employing uh, somebody just to to sweep uh, sweep up and clean up, or arranging helicopters and hotels and things like that. The brushstroke for someone like me is very broad, 
you know it can it can be even uh, as uh, you know arranging for somebody to be airlifted to a hospital or, or something like that it or for the drivers coming in saying you know they'd like can you organize us to go and see the elephants or whatever it is so having somebody like myself who's who has the experience uh, across the board uh, for so many years with Mitsubishi just makes their life easier and that's what it's about if if safari can can keep the cost down and make make it easy as possible for people to come and to do this event the safari will stay Glenn Edmonds as always thank you so much for speaking to us on Motorsport 411 thanks a lot and uh, Sean welcome back I'm glad to see that you're you're cycling again and everything's moving forward for you great program I'll be listening to it I believe you've got some people from Dirtfish coming um, I did get to spend some time with the Dirtfish guy over the safari and sat in the car and we spoke a little bit about it uh, about how safari is and actually I got a chance to tell him just how grateful we as Kenyans are to see safari come back and what it means for the average Joe Blow who's in Naivasha watching the safari I, I think a lot of the time people don't realize just how important this event is to the average man and hats off to Uhuru he fulfilled one of his his promises brought the safari back and gave us a all one inch a huge boost that's the local coordinator for Toyota Gazoo Racing Glenn Edmonds we'll be back the four and two-wheeled action motorsport 411 so welcome back to the show as we've been mentioning history was made in rally new zealand as kala rovenpera became the youngest ever world champion now after the event uh, colin clark and dirtfish tv uh, spoke to rovenpera of course it's a big relief when you finally get the job done um that's the biggest thing what you feel at the at the moment at what point in your life did you think, yes, I want to be World Rally Champion? How old were you? Can you remember that moment? Uh, I cannot remember it, but for sure when we when we started to be professionals, that's the only goal what you can have. For me, I, I never think about the age, but still it's it's nice. And uh, previously, if it was Colin and now us, I think that's also quite special. So it's, it's nice for me. And the future, you know, you've said to us, maybe you might do four or five years. What is the future for Kali Rovenpeer? I don't know yet. I don't need to think about it now. Colin, uh, thank you so much for speaking to us on Motorsport 411. Uh, what a performance by Calais over the weekend. In the grand scheme of things, uh, you've been in motorsport for many, many years. How brilliant is this guy? Well, well first of all, thank you very, very much for inviting me on your wonderful show. Uh, yeah, listen, uh, what we saw at the weekend with Calais Rovenpera, in terms of rallying and the world of rallying, it was an incredible achievement. But that really doesn't, I don't think, tell the whole story. You know, he is younger than Max Verstappen was when Verstappen won his first Formula One title. It's an unbelievable achievement. 22 years and one day old when he claimed the World Rally Championship. You know, not so many years ago, the kind of received wisdom said, winning rallying, you have to have experience. And to get that experience, you have to have been rallying for four, five, six years. Robin Perra has come along and shown that with you know, an absolute abundance of natural talent, ability, the right sort of mindset, you can win. And he is a very, 
very special talent indeed, not just in terms of rallying, but in terms, I think, of world motorsport. Now, he's part of this long line of drivers who comes from a rallying family. Uh, we know his father, Harry, very well. He finished second overall in the Safari Rally back in 2002. Um, these young drivers who come through this rallying, uh, you know, this family of rallying history, um, how important is it uh, from the moment they get behind the wheel of a car at a very tender age? Yeah, you know what? It is important. As I, as I mentioned, rallying is all about experience. And you know, anyone who knows rallying will know that it's a difficult sport to, to get into, to break through to the very highest level. And it's difficult for a number of reasons. And the main reason being cost, it's, it's enormously expensive. So when you've got a name like Robin Perra or like young Solberg or young Schwartz, who's making a bit of a name for himself, all with dads, uh, you know, families who have been in the sport for a long time, what that does is it opens doors for you. It gives you opportunity. So opportunity then gives you the possibility of, of getting through. It gives you seat time. It gives you, uh, well, it puts you in front of the right people. And, and you know, Robin Perra, 22 years old. But don't forget, he first drove a rally car when he was eight years old. Eight years old. And you can look it up on YouTube. He was driving, I think, a Toyota Starlet. So, yeah, it is, you know, it's, it is unfortunate because you, you want rallying to be open to everyone. And in some ways it is, in every way I suppose it is, but the opportunity quite often comes along if you've got a family name. Young Max McRae right now is just beginning to forge a career for himself. The McRae name maybe, maybe the most famous name in rallying, and Max is the nephew of the, the legend Colin McRae. So, yeah, you know, if you've got a family name, it helps, but you need that talent, that ability, that application that makes any champion in any sport. So the name alone won't get you to the very top, but the name certainly gives you opportunities. Now, there is that fine line between one-hit wonder and, of course, uh, a new era in motorsport. Uh, he's just 22 years uh, winning the title at 22 years and one day. Colin McRae, uh, who was the youngest uh, driver then in 1995, was 27 years old when he won that world title. Um, what, what do you see as the future and how important is Toyota for uh, Cali Rovenpera? Well, do you know what? A lot of things aligned for Cali Rovenpera. If Cali Rovenpera had been born 10 or 12 years ago, the opportunity might not have been there because there might not have been a manufacturer seat available for him. So, you know, the, if you like, all of the, the stars have aligned for Robin Perra, but it wouldn't have happened without this unbelievable natural ability he's got. And it, it, it's an achievement, that, to be totally honest with you, and it's, it's, it's you know, how, how low can it come? How low can that age bar come in in rallying? I don't think much lower than Robin Perra said it. I, I honestly don't think that we will see, certainly not in the even the mid-future. It'll be many, many, many years, if ever, until someone comes along and wins the world title at a younger age. And, and that, again, just gives us, I think, a, you know, a sense of just how absolutely momentous the achievement is for Robin Perra. To, to win it at such a, a young age, for everything to come together as it has done, for Robin Perra. Um, it's just incredible. It's quite incredible. And I don't see, I really don't see, you know, McRae was considered young, as you said, nearly 28 years old. He was considered incredibly young to be a world champion. At 22 years old, will we ever see a 21-year-old world rally champion? I think it's unlikely. I genuinely think that what Robin Perra has done may never, may never be bettered. 
Now, Colin, uh, I don't know what's happening. You're seeing a trend uh, in motorsport, uh, not just in uh, Formula One. Uh, you're looking at MotoGP. Uh, look how Mark Marquez is uh, struggling to come back after his injury woes. Uh, you go to the world of cycling. Uh, look at the Tour de France. Uh, these young kids, uh, early 20s, uh, you know, doing so well uh, in the world of cycling. Uh, well, what's happening uh, that the athletes and the drivers in general uh, seem to be younger and younger and achieving so much? <laughs> Yeah, well, don't forget, don't forget, we bucked that trend in rallying. Don't forget, we had possibly the greatest driver of all time, Sebastian Loeb, returning to the sport in Monte Carlo this year at 48 years old. 48 years old, and he won Monte Carlo rally. So he's kind of bucking that trend, but I do agree with you. I do agree with you. The youngsters are very much beginning to... Um, well, they, you know, in some, in, in some sports, in some forms of motorsports, circuits, racing you know kids can sit on simulators and they can sit on simulators for hour after hour after hour they can learn the lines they can learn the breaking points they know where to apply the throttle and theoretically and it seems in practice you can get in a car and you can replicate that you can almost completely replicate that in a in a sports car going around the circuit thankfully that's not the case in rallying you can't do that you know, there are some kids who, who grow up who get their early experience in rallying on simulators, but there's nothing in, in, in the world of rallying that replaces real seat time in a proper car. But I think the, the trend that you've identified that you're talking about, it has come about because of technology. Because of technology, the abundance of technology, the quality of the technology that's available these days. You can build a Formula One sim in your living room that, that gives you an almost, an almost lifelike... Uh, um, experience uh, and it's incredible you can't do the same in rallying and long may that last as far as I'm concerned all right now just looking at your ratings uh, for rally New Zealand let's start off with Toyota <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh. <laughs> these get me into such trouble they get me into such trouble oh my word right go on <laughs> All right. Uh, Cali was uh, 10 out of 10. Uh, but for Toyota, uh, it really was a mixed event. Listen, you know, a, a lot of people said to me, because I've not given Cali a 10 out of 10 before, even though he's won rallies in the past. You know, 10 is the perfect score. And the perfect score has to represent the perfect rally. If I give him 10 for a rally where he's only beaten his teammate Elfin Evans, for example, as he did on a couple of rallies ago, um, you know, if I give him a 10 for that, where do I go? when he has this type of rally, which is monumental, which is historic. You know, so that's why Robin Perra gets a 10 here. He's changing the way that I give my scores in my driver ratings because, uh, you know, a win for Cali Robin Perra isn't an automatic 10, but this one had to be. It absolutely had to be. But as you say, Toyota, yeah, you know, they've got, they had a little bit of a strange event, a really strange event in Acropolis a few weeks ago where all three of their drivers struggled really, really badly. And we saw Hyundai claiming a 1-2-3 on that event. But Toyota right now are the strongest team. They've got a fantastic leader in Yari Mati Latvala. They've got a wonderful facility based in Finland. They've got a great budget and they've got three drivers, um, or four, five drivers, you might argue, who are all right up there contributing to the development of their car. So, yeah, you know, to Toyota are doing well. Elvin Evans struggling a little bit. But when you can bring every now and again, you know, an eight times world champion, Sebastian Ogier, back into the team to give you a little boost, you know, you know that you're, um, you're doing the right things, aren't you? Now, for Hyundai, uh, it really was, uh, it's been a strange couple of events. Uh, we talk about Greece, first of all, mm. and 
the the, the team orders uh, between uh, Terry Neville and Oit Tanaka. Uh, oh. I want your thoughts uh, first of all on that. Yeah, listen, I, that was bizarre. That was, in my view, absolutely bizarre. Um, you know, if you want to win a title, if you've got any chance of winning a title, then you take every opportunity that you can. And in, particularly in rallying, where it's so unpredictable, you just don't know what's going to happen. You take the points where they're they're on offer if mathematically you can still win a title. So, um, you know, it, 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 there was more reason behind it. Yes, they had this historic one, two, three uh, that they were set up for on Sunday morning. But they could still have achieved that by switching uh, Tanak and Neuville around. And they elected not to. For me, it suggests there's something else going on within that team. Um, and I, and I'm, I think I might know what's going on, but, but we'll find out, I think, in the coming weeks or months what's going on in that team. It was the strangest decision, the strangest decision. Um, I, I, and I've got no idea why they did it. Well, I do. I think I do have an idea. <laughs> but, um, um, you know, on the face of it, it was bizarre. And I think that's about as much as we can say about it. And then, of course, in New Zealand, uh, the issues with the hybrid boost and the penalties, uh, that, that really cost them. Oh. It did cost them, you know, and, and, and you, know, you can understand like, Tanak's frustrations. Tanak is putting everything on the line. If we go back, what, three rallies, I think it was three rallies to Finland, um, one of the greatest drives I have ever seen from any driver, Oit Tanak to win Rally Finland. Rally Finland, you cannot win unless you put everything on the line. You drive on the door handles, you, you, you're flying the whole time, you're, you're the risk-reward. Is, is massive, that calculation, because if you go off in Finland, you're in all sorts of trouble. Uh, and Tanak, for every kilometre of every stage, 100% committed. He knew the car wasn't working. He knew the car was unpredictable, but he was prepared to deal with that unpredictability in order to give himself a chance of winning the rally. Fantastic. Did all that. He wins. Um, you know, so that's the level that he's operating at right now. And what he can't deal with, or what he shouldn't have to deal with, is penalty situation that he encountered in New Zealand the other week. You know, very frustrating. Leading the rally on Friday night, he wakes up Saturday morning expecting to still lead the rally uh, and he's no longer leading the rally because he's been penalised for something that was beyond his control and was human error. But you know, at the end of the day, Monsieur Monse, the team boss, he'll tell you, you know, we all make mistakes and that is true. That is absolutely true. But in a professional motorsport team, those kind of mistakes uh, you know they're rare, and they are rarely tolerated. Um, it is one of those, it was it was all it was a very well org not very well organized, but it was a very well communicated. Someone in Hyundai missed, and the whole team, um, you know, unfortunately got time penalties. And that that you know, you know what you might say it was only I think it was fifteen seconds or something for for Tanak, but it, you know it, it sucked the life out of the poor lads. You know he is putting everything on the line to lead this rally, potentially win the rally. And then he's 15 seconds back down the road because of an administrative error by someone in the team. You can you can see how that could deflate him, and I'm certain it did deflate him. And it, you know, he's, in terms of his motivation, then to push on, well, it was just that little bit harder. Colin, let me ask you a question. Will Tanak still be at Hyundai in uh, 2023? He refuses to answer that question. He refuses to answer it. You know, I asked him directly a couple of times now. I asked him directly in Greece, will you be in a Hyundai next year? And he said, well, you'll have to wait to see in Monte Carlo. 
I asked him a similar question in New Zealand where I said, look, you know, um, do you think Hyundai, with the homologation rules, you know, these cars, you know, brand new cars, and when you, you develop a new car, you present a new car to the governing body, that is the car that you have to drive. You can't, you know, think, oh, blue and we got this wrong, we'll, we'll develop a whole new car. There are only certain things you can change on that car. So, um, you know, I said to Tanak, with the limitations on how much they can change to this car, do you think it's possible that Hyundai can develop the car into a championship-winning car by Monte Carlo? And his response to that was, I have to get to Monte Carlo first. So he's been non-committal. He's been absolutely non-committal. There is a, um, there, there's a palpably bad atmosphere in that team. Uh, Tanak, I think, feels he's not being supported by the team. And, you know, you'd have to say the evidence in Greece suggested that. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know whether Tanak will be in the Hyundai or not. We'll have to wait and see. But it's certainly, uh, it's certainly somewhere around 50-50, and it might even be less than 50-50 of Tanak staying at Hyundai. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Now, for Ford, uh, it's always going to be difficult. Uh, they don't have the budget of the other two teams. Uh, but for New Zealand, uh, that was a really, really long weekend for them. Oh, and they've had too many of them, haven't they? They've had too many long weekends. Don't forget the problems that they had in Acropolis with drivers crashing. We go back to Ypres and there were crashes. Finland, uh, well, I can't remember. It was Finland. Finland was, yeah, there were one or two crashes there as well. Um, well, Craig Breen in particular. No, it's been a tough time because you know, they are funded very differently from the other two manufacturer entries. You know, Toyotas and Hyundai's are proper full manufacturer entries and, and funded accordingly. Uh, the M Sport deal is very different from that, and they run on a fraction of the budget. So, you know, they have to make things work. Uh, and, you know, a big part of that is getting drivers who can bring the car home in one piece and hopefully bring the car home in one piece with podiums and ultimately wins. They had that magnificent win at the start of the year, as I mentioned, with Sebastian Loeb. Um, and the only person who's looked capable of winning in the car since then is Loeb, but he's made his comebacks. It's a very frustrating time for M Sport right now. You know, Breen, four crashes out of five rallies. Um, Adrian Formeau seems seems uh, to be a, you know, a little bit unreliable right now. He's got pace, that's for sure. Uh, but he's got no consistency. He's also crashing a lot. Greensmith is a bit better. Greensmith is the best of the three, but he had a big crash at the weekend in New Zealand as well. So it's a very, very tough time, and they need they need a solution. They need something to come along, someone perhaps to come along uh, and change things there. And that may be it. May be a, a you know more rallies for Sebastian Loeb. It may be another driver coming along and uh, perhaps taking on the number one driver responsibilities because you know everyone loves an underdog and M Sport are very much the underdog and, and they're one of the most popular teams in the service park. So fingers crossed they get things sorted sooner rather than later and we see some some joy in that camp rather than the abject misery that we've seen sadly for the last few rallies. Now, it'd be interesting to have your thoughts on the podium in New Zealand, a, a very, very rare sight of having three world champions on the podium. Very rare. 2007 or 2008 was the last time we saw that. Yeah, very, very rare indeed. And, and, and you're nice to see. And, and um, uh, you know, I guess you're the only one who, who could have mixed it up on that podium and still been a world champion was Loeb. Uh, we occasionally 
We'll now have four world champions on potentially. Maybe when we get to Monte Carlo, we'll have four world champions on the start list with Loeb, Ogier, uh, Tanak, and now Robin Perra. But yeah, a very rare sight indeed, and really good to see. It was good to see. You know, Sebastian Ogier is an absolute gentleman, and he's a, he's a cracking ambassador for our sport. And it was great to see him so relaxed, and great to see him, if you like, handing over the mantle uh, to young Cali Robin Perra. It was a very much you know, a change, a generational thing, wasn't it? You know, the old master handing over to the, the aspiring young apprentice. Well, you can't really call him an apprentice anymore. Uh, but it was it was great to see. It was great to see. And, and he is an absolute gentleman, Sebastian Ogier, one of my very favourite drivers. Um, and he, he is great for the sport. And we're seeing a different Ogier whenever we see him out now. He is very relaxed. He's enjoying his driving. Uh, still driving at the most extraordinarily high level. Um, but just enjoying himself, doing what he has to do for the team. Now, unfortunately, we didn't get to see you in Kenya, but you were here briefly for the Safari Rally, the WRC Safari Rally. Uh, your thoughts on the event? Oh, listen, I, you know, I am just absolutely gutted that after two two safaris, I've only been able to attend, if you like, the reconnaissance for, for one of them. Um, you know, somewhere that I've got a great deal of affection for, and uh, you know, I'm desperate to get out and see the rally. So I'll be back next year, that's absolutely for sure. But you know, what, what Safari gives us is something very, very different. You know, rallying is all about diversity, and, and this is what makes our sport special. You know, we go all around the world, and we go to wonderful places like New Zealand, uh, you know, and we go to uh, South America, we go to Africa with the Safari Rally, and each of those rallies gives us that diversity that we need to keep rallying unique. You know, it's not just a bit of tarmac going around the circuit in the centre of a city, uh, which are a lot of other motorsports, top-level motorsports are. Um, and Africa, Kenya in particular, the Safari Rally, just visually, it was, it always has been, but it certainly has been the last couple of years, just stunning, absolutely stunning visually. And in terms of the challenge, well, an incredible challenge. You know, we saw it last year and we saw it this year. Just an incredible challenge. You get a little bit of rain and those stages become again, a proper strategic event as opposed to just a flat-out sprint. Sadly, a number of rallies these days have just become a flat-out sprint. The element of strategy uh, has disappeared. Well, it hasn't in Africa, particularly when it rains. I love it. And, and you know, on top of that, on top of that, the, probably the most important thing about the Safari Rally are the people. You know, the people that turn out in their hundreds of thousands and, and the enthusiasm, the passion for for motorsport out there is just incredible. And, you know, even though I, I wasn't there for the event, I could very, very much feel it uh, in the build-up to the event. Uh, very, very, very special place. And we were away for far too long, and hopefully we're going to be back now for a very long time. The big talking point with the Safari Rally is fesh fesh. Um, how much is too much? And uh, what's your advice uh, for the uh, organisers, uh, particularly the clerk of the course and his team? Yeah, listen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare give them any advice because they know better than anyone their own route and their own rally but uh, you know, my, my view is is that these things are there to be dealt with if every single car is getting stuck in the fish fish then there's an issue but that rarely happens that rarely happens and again it's what I'm talking about it's about strategy it's about how you deal with these issues that are presented to you um, you know they, they obviously there was one stage I can't remember which stage it was where actually Robin Perra got stuck last year um, and they, they cut a fair chunk of that stage out to avoid the fetch fetch. Probably the right thing. Kidong. Um, Kidong stage, that's the one, yeah. Uh, beautiful stage. Oh, my goodness me. I remember driving that on the recce, and there's a, 
there's a very large area in the middle of that stage, an open plain, and there were there were uh, there were buffalo, there were giraffes, there were zebras, there were leopards up in the trees. Oh my goodness, it was incredible. Uh, but yeah, you know, fish fish is 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 a part of the event. It's part and parcel of the challenge that the unique stages of Kenya offer. So uh, you know, if you can avoid when you're choosing your route, if you can avoid obvious areas that are prone to, to really deep and really punishing fish fish, fair enough. But but you know, a little bit of fish fish. It's 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 part of the challenge of rallying in Kenya, and the drivers just have to deal with it, and they have to work out a way of dealing with it. And for me, bring it on is great; makes it interesting. Uh, just tell us about your history with Africa. Well, I, you know, I don't I don't have a huge amount of history other than that. You know, when I was younger, I was a bit of a, a bookworm. I loved reading books and, and novels in particular, and uh, and I got into Wilbur Smith when I was younger. And by the time I was 15 or 16, I'd read just about every single Wilbur Smith book. And anyone who knows anything about Wilbur Smith novels knows that you know, he was a South African with a passion for Africa. And he paints a glorious picture of Africa. And, and Wilbur Smith ignited my, my, my passion for, for your part of the world. And I, I went there when I was 19. I came to Kenya when I was 19 uh, and had a month or so and absolutely loved it. But it took me 30 years to get back. Exactly, um, but yeah, you know, I, I just, I just, there's just the vitality and there's, there's a, a beautiful um, energy about Africa, about the African people, about the Kenyan people, and I, I just find it really quite, um, quite humbling to go there and to see these people who clearly, uh, in the majority, don't have an awful lot of material goods in their lives, but they just have a lot of joy in their lives, and I think we can learn in the West an awful lot from that. Uh, Colin, uh, I know we could talk, uh, you know, literally forever about uh, your motorsports background. Uh, can you just tell us briefly about your motorsports background? Well, look, I'm not, I'm not a driver. I never have been. I've never professed to be. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate, and I've seen I've seen motorsport from various angles. I, you know, I, growing up, I was I was just a fan of sports. Our family were quite a sporting family, and we we played a lot of sport when we were younger, and we watched a lot of sport on the telly, and I watched. Formula One uh, until I fell asleep, which was quite regularly watching Formula One. Um, and I watched a little bit of rallying, but I wasn't really into rallying. But when I graduated university, I started to work for the tobacco company uh, and we sponsored the Subaru World Rally Team. And I got involved in that. Uh, and that really ignited my passion for rallying, um, working for, um, at the time it was Rothmans, it then became BAT and the 555 brand. So that's how I got involved. And I, you know, unfortunately, the job that I had, which was looking after sponsorship and promotions um, with, with the, the changing tobacco laws around promotions, that all disappeared. Uh, and I took redundancy from that job, but really missed the rallying. So was fortunate to get back involved uh, in, in rally radio. And I, it just went from there, to be honest. I found something that I loved doing. I had an absolute passion for. Turned out I was half decent at. Uh, so that was 20 odd years ago. And I've, I've never looked back. I've managed to make make a living uh, talking about and commentating on, on mainly rallying since then. So I, I understand exactly how fortunate I am to have been able to do that. But it's a kind of dream job for me, and I, I love every second of it. And I've, I've never taken for granted how fortunate I am to be in the position I am in. And I think, I think particularly with rally fans, that's really important. At heart, I am a rally fan. I'm still a rally fan. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, and I think that kind of helps me in the job I do because... I ask the kind of questions that rally fans ask, you know, because I'm not, I'm not technically 100% on top of things. In terms of strategy, I'm not 100% on top of it. 
So, you know, I ask the kind of questions. I've got a very inquisitive mind. I ask the questions that I kind of hope rally fans want the answer to. And, and it seems to have worked. It's worked for 20 years and we'll hopefully it'll last and work for a few more. All right. Uh, you are with Dirtfish. Mm. Uh, can you tell us about the partnership between Dirtfish and the WRC and, you know, your overall involvement? Yeah, you know, Dirtfish is a fantastic project. Your owner uh, is a gentleman called Steve Rimmer. Uh, Steve's a, a businessman and, and, and quite a successful businessman. Um, and he has an absolute passion for rallying. And he started a rally school in Seattle or just outside Seattle in the United States um, about 10 or 12 years ago. And uh, and that's very successful. I'd have to say, it, it, you know, from rally schools that I've seen around the world, and I would be a little biased, and maybe I would say this, but it's, you know, by far and away the best rally school I've seen anywhere in the world. Uh, but that's Steve. Steve sets his standards very high and delivers to a very, very high level. Uh, and a few years ago, he got together with David Evans and they decided that, you know, perhaps there was a job to be done in terms of media and selling rallying in a different sort of way, in a more independent way with a more honest voice. Um, and Steve got David Evans involved and David Evans came from Autosport. He was at the time and probably still is, I think, the world's best rally journalist. Uh, and then they asked me to come on board and it was an absolute dream for me because it, it gave me the opportunity to speak freely about things I'm passionate about and, and to continue really you know, being an evangelist for the World Rally Championship. So, yeah, you know, we, we do rallying and it's the, it's, the, it's not just the World Rally Championship. We, we cover the, um, the ARA in North America, the championship there. We cover really any rallying that's interesting around the world. We cover Rally Cross uh, and, and a few other events as well. We cover Dakar and a bit of Extreme E. So it's really down to, to Steve, Steve Rimmer, our boss. He, he's the man with the the, the driving passion at the top and, and you know, his, his motivation is to deliver for rally fans something that's honest and entertaining and informative. And I think I think he's managed to achieve that in the relatively short period that, that Dirtfish.com has been going. Now, what is it about motorsport that you love? Uh, do you know what? I, I, okay, so when I was involved with the tobacco company, I, I did a little bit of Formula One and I didn't love it. So I, I don't think it's motorsport I love as such. You know, Formula One, I, I just found too insular. Uh, the teams were very, very insular. You know, the team that I was working with wouldn't ever, ever talk to any of the other teams. If we were in a restaurant um, in our team gear and another team walked in, we would leave. You would never find you know, two teams eating in the same restaurant in Formula One. This was 20 years ago. But rallying is very different. Rallying is a sport for the people. Uh, the drivers are just everyday honest guys. Um, and they, you know, almost to the man and woman, that's how they remain. You know, they're very approachable. The sport's approachable. It's very real, isn't it? You know, these, are, these cars that they're driving, um, you know, in the majority, there are road-going versions. You can go out and buy, or certainly back in the day, you could buy a Subaru WRX. You could buy an Evo Mitsubishi. You could buy a GTI Peugeot. Um, you know, you can identify, the man in the street can identify with the rally driver in a way that they can't with other forms of motorsport. And that's what I love about it. You know, we, we go out, it's, it's the nearest thing to pure motorsport, in my opinion. You were driving proper roads, proper tracks with real hazards. And the skill level involved in doing that is extreme. And, and you know, we go to these incredible places and to, 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 you know, to hear the cars, to see the cars to smell the cars and then to get a sense 
of just what they're achieving. You know, we go to um, to, well, to Africa and you're, you're you're crossing these incredible plains and and dealing with things like fish fish. You go to Greece and you're up in the mountains and there are massive drops off the side of the mountains and they're still going at a hundred percent. It's just for me, it's it's just almost beyond belief what they do in these cars and that makes it attractive that makes it appealing and that continues to make the whole sport of rallying for me incredibly exciting and and you know i'm i'm, I'm yet to get bored by rallying so uh, I, I don't think it's possible i genuinely don't think it's possible i've never been to what i would call a boring rally so um and i'm, I'm honest enough to say if there is one and as far as i can tell so far i've never been to one so Rallying does a lot of things. It ticks a lot of boxes, uh, certainly for me. Uh, and it is that kind of you know, diversity that keeps it kind of, it keeps it fresh, doesn't it? You know, and, and I love it. And I always loved it, or certainly for the last 20, 30 years. And I can't ever see that situation changing. Just finally, Colin, uh, a lot of people listening to this show right now. Uh, well, what's your message uh, for the rally enthusiast uh, here in Eastern Central Africa and uh, Africa at large? Well, listen, there's a wonderful rallying community within Africa, uh, you know, right across from Tanzania, Kenya, all the way down to South Africa. There's an incredible rallying community, a wonderful spirit. And it's so accessible, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you know, you're doing a wonderful thing. I met a young guy called Max Smart the other day from South Africa, who's won through to the final of the FIA Rally Star. Uh, you know, it always helps to have to have a hero, doesn't it? You know, to produce a local talent. And uh, to, to be fair, there's some fantastic local talent. Um, you know, we saw that in, in in Kenya this year. We saw it in Kenya last year. But I think just keep keep supporting rallying, keep going out and supporting the drivers and the teams. Get involved if you can. Rallying's a sport that relies on volunteers almost more than any other motorsport. So get yourself down to your local car club. Get involved. Volunteer to Marshall. You know, if your friends can get together to run a car, that's great. You know, the teams that support these cars tend to be uh, to be big and enthusiastic. So just just keep doing what you're doing, supporting your local rally clubs, and and you know, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you all back out for Rally Kenya next year. Colin Clark of Dirtfish, the voice of rallying. <laughs> Thank you so much for speaking to us on Motorsport 411. It is an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Well, thank you very much indeed for having me on your wonderful show. It's been a joy. Thank you. Motorsports 411 with Sean Cardavillis. So that's it for the show this week. Uh, once again, a very special thanks to Glenn Edmonds, the local coordinator for Toyota Gazoo Racing, and the voice of rallying, uh, Colin Clark of Dirtfish. Our thanks as always to Big City Studio. I'm Sean Cardavillis. See you next week. <laughs>